for half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I am John Jagay. Excited for today's guest. He's a former general manager of the station. And in March of 2020, we all shared a marker to sign his Novelty Lock Award check right before the whole world shut down. Mr. Ethan Charlip, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So I ask all of our guests this. I'm going to start in the same place with you. How did you find out about Syracuse and then the radio station? And where are you from originally? So I'm originally from Jersey. So I found out about Syracuse because I was looking to go into broadcasting of some sort. Wasn't 100% sure what. Originally, I wanted to go to the University of Miami, and I told my mother this plan, and she said, absolutely <laughs> not. So I had to I had to go look elsewhere. At the time, I was really thinking I wanted to be a, a sports broadcaster doing a sports talk radio. One more for the tote board. Hang on. Okay, isn't, go ahead. <laughs> isn't that how we all got there? Um, so, you know, I started looking into Syracuse, and uh, I had a few friends that were there, uh, some other Z alum that uh, I'm sure we'll get to that a little bit later. I applied early decision to Syracuse. It was the one place I wanted to be. I still remember the moment I got my acceptance letter. It was like the happiest moment of of my life. And uh, the rest was kind of history. And then as for getting to WJPZ, I made a mistake, to be honest. I I say this always. I, I will. I say this forever. My biggest mistake is that I did not join WJPZ the moment I got to Syracuse. I waited until my second semester because... I was kind of a shy kid, wasn't really sure what to do with like in joining organizations and anything. But as I said, I had some friends from high school, uh, Shruti Marate, who was also a former GM a couple of years before me, and Jacob Bellotti, who was a VP of operations at one point. Both of them were already involved at the station. And uh, the way I actually got involved at Z is uh, Shruti cornered me in Newhouse one day <laughs> and she said, uh, the general information meeting for Z89 is tonight you're going to be there, right? And I was like, oh, you know, maybe. I don't really know. <laughs> and she went, no, no, no. The general information meeting for Z89 is tonight. You will be there. And Jacob was actually put in charge of making sure that I attended the meeting. <laughs> it's Jersey on Jersey crime right exactly. there. Exactly. We had all gone to high school together. We, we had known each other for years. So they had no issue just straight up bullying me into joining the organization. And I appreciate them for doing it to this day. I will let you off the hook and give you special dispensation here because you said you feel bad waiting until second semester. We've had guests on the show that joined sophomore, junior, even senior year, and they say, why didn't I join faster? I joined like November of my freshman year, and I wish I joined faster. I was that same shy kid who hadn't found my tribe until I got to the station. Sounds like you had that same experience. Oh, yeah. Okay, so when you get to the station, uh, tell me, you know, I'm sorry, once you were dragged into the station kicking and screaming, (laughs) tell me uh, what you got involved with and what you did there. Early on, I kind of just took on a DJ shift like everybody else, but I always hung around the station. It was joked by some people that I was there more than the executive staff my freshman year because it was just, it was a place to hang out. I loved being there. There were always people around. Uh, So I would just go and chill out and I kind of just got my hands involved in everything and anything. If anybody needed an extra set of hands, I was there. And after my first semester at the station, It was the end of the school year, so they were doing the mid-year elections for the executive staff for people that would fill in the second half of the term. 
And I decided that the only logical decision was to apply for every position. <laughs> uh, so I applied for all of them. And that kind of got me known. <laughs> at, and, uh, from then on, there was everybody was like, oh, that's the guy that wants to do everything. OK, thanks. And the next semester, I ended up becoming production director, and it kind of just grew from there. What were some of the uh, stuff you handled as production director? Because I'm trying to think of production directors from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s. What does a production director job look like in the late 2010s? So I was the production director when we first started doing podcasts. Mm -hmm. When podcasting was getting too big for us to not do it anymore, uh, that's when I was the production director. So I was very involved in getting those off the ground. I was the editor for all of the original podcasts. But also when I took over, the production team was really small and we were just looking to get more people interested in production. So a big part of my job is I just offered to anyone and everyone that I would teach them how to use Adobe if they would join the team. Wow. That was the trade off. I was like, I will sit down with you for two hours and teach you what you need to know as long as you join the team. And so that's really what I spent a lot of my time doing as the director. It's really easy to see why you would eventually become a lock award winner as well as general manager, paying that education of WJPZ forward of, hey, come on in, welcome. And I'm going to teach you something just like you learn from those around you. You mentioned your high school classmates, the folks that brought you in. Who are some of the other uh, connections that you made while you're at the station? Uh, man, I mean, everybody, you know, you get into the station and you're friends with everyone forever. But yeah, Shruti and Jacob were... Still two of my very good friends, uh, Melody M, who followed me as GM, and her fiance, Bames, who I believe helps work on this podcast, right? Yep, he's edited some of our episodes, yep. Two of them are, they're still two of my best friends to this day. And just a bunch of other random people that you still, you keep in touch with because you were too close not to. So, you know, Hannah Butler, people like that, that I'm running out of names at this point. But people that just, you know, you want to keep around after you leave. Uh, Melody decided she was going to start calling me Uncle Jag, so I appreciate you not calling me that. I was actually on the phone with her yesterday. So <laughs> Amazing. Love that. So you start off as production director. How do you come to rise through the ranks to general manager? So I was never really supposed to be general manager, to be honest. You are uh, not the first person by a long shot to say that on the show, by the way, Ethan. Yeah, so I only spent a semester as production director, and then I went abroad uh, for a semester. And while I was abroad, I applied to be general manager. My sole intention was to make the board know who I was. Okay. I was like, I'm going to apply because then I'll get an interview. They'll all know my name. And then when I end up not becoming GM and I run for VP of programming <laughs> to, be the, the product, to be the program director, I'll have some important backing. And that was the plan. And then there was a lot going on at the station uh, behind the scenes, you know, like between different you know factions, for lack of a better term, not to get like all inside baseball about it. But because of some of that stuff, there were a couple of main contenders in the GM race that kind of got knocked out because of all the drama. And I became more or less the compromise candidate. So that's kind of how I ended up in the position. I was shocked when I got elected. I, they thought my camera froze because I was, like I said, I was abroad. So I was doing it over Zoom back before that's what we were all doing. Were you in a hostel? Were you in a Starbucks? Where were you? Where were you? I was actually, so I was studying abroad in London, but for the weekend I was in Prague. <laughs> I was at an Airbnb in Prague. And with the time difference, they were doing it at like 9 p.m. The interviews at like 9 p.m. Eastern time, which was about 2 a.m. where I was. <laughs> so I stayed up all night. And originally during my interview, I told them, I was like, hey, it's 2, 3 a.m. where I am. I'm exhausted. I'm going to have to go to sleep. Somebody email me what happens because I didn't think I was going to win. It didn't matter. I was like, just email me who wins and I'll see you when I wake up in the morning. Yeah. And then at the very end of my interview, the last thing I said before I logged off was 
never mind. I'm not going to be able to sleep. Let me know when it's time to hop back on the call. <laughs> and so I stayed up until about 6 a.m. my time. Uh, my God. When they finally called me back and they announced that I was going to be the general manager. And like I said, they thought my screen froze because I was in pure shock. My face was like a mixture of shock and horror because I just, <laughs> I was not ready for this. I did not expect this to happen by any means. It was a crazy experience. And then the call ended with uh, Hannah Butler again. She was the broadcast consultant at the time. So she was running the election. And uh, the last thing she said was, Okay, now, Ethan, please, for the love of God, go to sleep. <laughs> a line that will now live in uh, Z89 lore. Yes. So you were GM the 2018-19 year? Uh, I was GM 2019, the full calendar year of 2019. Okay. So I was in right before the pandemic. Right before you handed it off to Melody and Kyle. To Melody, yep. Okay. Yep, exactly. Let me ask you this, before we get to your stuff post-graduation and even before COVID, what are some of the things you learned at JPZ, Ethan, that you think have served you well in the couple of years that you've been out? Uh, I mean, you learn everything at JPZ. You learn, it's, it's a crash course in being a professional and doing everything and I've worked in radio, I've worked out of radio. And so, you know, there were technical skills that helped me at one point. And now it's just, you know, it's the personal skills having to deal with people. There's a lot of different people. Z89 attracts a an eclectic group. And so you have a lot of personalities and it was a lot of fun, but it also, you know, you got to learn to deal with that. You got to learn to deal with the downsides that come with that as well. And especially being GM, I had to learn, you know, very suddenly how to deal with a staff and how to deal with a staff that was made up of my friends. You know, all of a sudden I went from like, you know, we were all buddy, buddy to now I'm your boss. Yeah. I need to tell you, you're not doing your job. And it was just a completely different world that I really had to learn how to deal with quickly. And it's been extremely helpful in the professional world, just having that experience of dealing with those personalities. It really is amazing when you think about the lessons that all of us over 50 plus years have learned at the radio station that a lot of people don't get to learn until they're 25, 30 or whatever it is. And we're learning it as 19 and 20 year olds. And most of us are, I won't say us because I wasn't, but everyone that became GM that I've talked to, oh my God, like I wasn't ready for that. But the stuff that I learned and the crash course is the perfect way to put it as one of our other guests put it as you're managing the island of misfit toys. Yes, I think that's a great way to put it. Like you said, nobody's ever ready to take over as GM. When I took over, I talked to a couple of people and I was like, I'm not prepared for this. I don't know what to do. And every single one of them said, I didn't know either. Just fake it till you make it. You're going to figure it out. Yeah. So I want to go chronological here and I do want to come to your career in a second, but I would be remiss if I didn't ask you. 2020 was your senior year. You win the Lock Award. We're all in Syracuse. We're all sharing, you know, 100 wings among 50 people, which in hindsight was not the best idea. And So much of what happened that weekend shouldn't have, <laughs> knowing what happened one week later. I do want to give a shout out, if I haven't already in the podcast, to uh, Christy Agonis Vincent, who is a dear friend of both Josh Wolf and myself. She was in the thick of it in New York, like right before the banquet, when it was really you know hitting hard in just north of New York City. And she texts both of us like, are you sure you want to go? Like, make sure you bring Purell. And I totally was a dick to her. I blew her off. I was like, okay, mom, whatever. But a month later, I texted her back and I was like, I am so sorry. You were so right. None of us had any idea what was about to happen. Yeah, we were taking bets on how many jokes about COVID were going to be in the speeches that night. Like, none of us... We're taking it all that seriously. And then it became super serious. I want to say it was uh, Chris Bungo had just come back from Italy and Donovan was making jokes about do we let him in the room? And, you know, hindsight being no pun intended, 2020, we look back now and we're like, whoa. Yeah. So you had the end of your college career taken away from you in a sense, right? Yeah, it was. 
I, I'd say uh, my college career ended unceremoniously with an email from the chancellor. While we were home for spring break, we were told originally we're going to extend spring break to two weeks. And then during the second week, they emailed us and said, you're not coming back to campus. And it was really like we technically finished the year on Zoom. But at that point, nobody had taught classes on Zoom yet. Nobody knew how to transition it. So classes really just kind of stopped. You were just attending them because you were supposed to. And yeah. everything was really scaled back. It was really an anticlimactic ending to a college career, especially if, you know, you go somewhere like Syracuse, there's a lot going on all the time. There's, you know, senior week is a big deal when you're graduating. There's a lot of different things that people take part in. Mm -hmm. And we kind of just missed out on all that. We ended up getting a commencement in September of 2021. And that was like the closest we had to a real graduation. How did that work? Did they invite you all back to campus to walk? Yeah, we were all invited back to campus. It was basically just a reunion. They held one giant commencement and then we broke off into like little school activities. But yeah, everybody got invited back. A lot of people didn't make it, which was, you know, the downside of that. Well, I mean, there's a lot of downsides of what happened, but postponing it like that, there was just it was, you know, it was a good time. We all really appreciated having it, but it just wasn't what it could be because we weren't all there. We weren't actually finishing our career. I mean, all of us had been in our jobs for a year at that point and stuff like that. So it was nice, but it was a weird situation. So did you ever get a last show on Z89? Uh, yes, actually, I am one of very few from my class at Z89 that got a last show. And I only got it because I was very good friends with Melody and she was the GM at the time. I had, you know, all of us had just left campus. So we all had to go back at some point to move out of our apartments. Right. And Melody was still living in Syracuse full time. I had gone back home and I came back for a weekend to clear out my apartment. And Melody was like, I'll sneak you into the station and I'll let you do uh, a half hour or an hour, whatever she gave me for a last show. And that was that was really emotional because oh, wow. it was uh, I ended up crying at the end of it. Um, Join the club. Me too. Yeah. yeah so uh, I held it. I, I was like, I'm not going to cry on air. I'm not going to cry on air. And I held off until the last second. And you couldn't really tell unless you were paying attention. But the people that know my voice were like, you cracked at the end. And I was like, yeah, I broke down the moment I turned my mic off. I remember in 2002, I stacked my last show with a bunch of emotional songs. So because I'm a crier and I knew I'd cry. But and then that's without a worldwide pandemic and being cheated out of my last everything at Syracuse. So I can't even imagine. Yeah, it was tough. I was very appreciative that I got that opportunity to have a last show, though, because so many people just didn't. And I really feel for them. It's WJPZ at 50. Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives. Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence. This is WJPZ at 50. Okay, let's turn to your life after Syracuse, Ethan. Tell me uh, after graduation, and again, you graduate at the beginning of a pandemic. The job search, I can't imagine what that was like. It was crazy. And I mean, I was trying to go into radio and even before the pandemic, what was at the time, Entercom and iHeart had just had a bunch of layoffs. Yeah. So I really chose the worst time to try to get into the industry. You picked the wrong year to be born, Ethan, you know? Uh, yeah, I, I really did. <laughs> um, so 
the job hunt was very slow at first. I was working for a little while just for a family friend that had a small company selling trading cards because it was just, Mm. it was a paycheck. And then from there, I ended up getting a job at Westwood One, the radio network, doing a like a corporate job behind the scenes, a lot of emailing, very boring. I was still trying to make the jump back to radio for a little while, like back to an actual station, but there were just very few jobs. And because of the state of everything, there were a lot of people that were a lot more qualified than me going for jobs that were well below what they should have been just because that was the situation. Yeah. Um, And so it kind of became evident that that was not the moment for that career to come to fruition. So I then made after, I think, eight months at Westwood One, I made the jump to the dark side and uh, joined a PR company where actually my uh, WJPZ skills have come in handy because, like I said, you got to learn to work with your friends. Yeah. The CEO of my company, I work for a very small startup. The CEO of my company is somebody I know from high school. Oh, wow. So that was a skill that was very helpful to have walking into this job because it was an interesting situation. Are you still there? I'm still there. I've been there a little over a year now. What's your day to day? What are you kind of doing? Media relations, mostly. My entire company is former media professionals in one manner or another that just went straight to the source on that one. So it's a lot of media relations. I work with a lot of startups. So just contacting reporters and such to try to get them to write about my client or whatever. That must be a really competitive space trying to get media coverage for startups where there's so many startups out there. And I'll ask you this. What gives a startup staying power? There's a lot of things that come into play there. And it really, a lot of it is just happenstance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to have the right funding at the right moment. And if that doesn't line up, you're going to crumble no matter how good you are. But the one consistent we see is mission-based companies are going to do the best. Companies where the founder has a reason for why they're doing this and the people that are working for them understand that reason and are behind it and are all in on that. Those are the startups that have staying power and they'll figure out how to deal with everything else that comes. But those have been our most consistently successful clients. I think there's a parallel to be drawn there with podcasting. It's know your why. It's why are you doing a podcast? Like for this podcast, it was to chronicle the history of the radio station and in part drive attendance to the banquet. Uh, There are people who do a podcast who say, I do a podcast because my friend said I'm funny and I should have a podcast. And that's never a good reason to do a podcast. You've got to know your why. I think that's true of anything. That's a really great answer to that question. Are there any stories that come to mind for you that uh, you look back on and still crack up from your time at the station? Oh, you've got so many great relationships. You're already laughing for those who you can't see him right now. He's already cracking up when I oh. asked the question. What uh, what stories come to mind that you still laugh about a couple of years later? I mean, there's a lot. And I feel like a consistent trend of WJPC alum is there's a lot of stories that probably aren't appropriate for a podcast. <laughs> um, and also, you're young. You're still in the statute of limitations. But uh, Exactly. I got to be a little more careful. Um <laughs> uh, Well, going back to what I talked about before, when I applied, decided to apply for every exec staff position, it was my first time like really applying for jobs other than just like part-time stuff in high school where you walk in, fill out the application and leave. So I didn't really know what a cover letter was. Hmm. Uh, I didn't know that I needed one. And Shruti was the GM at the time, I believe. And during the election or like right at the beginning of it, she texted me and she said, hey, do you have cover letters to send in with these? And I was like, I do I need those? I didn't know I needed that. (laughs) I was like, but if you need them, I can pump some out real quick and send them back to you. And she's like, yeah, if you could, it'll help. But again, I don't really know what a cover letter is supposed to say. (laughs) So I just, I Google real quick. What is a cover letter? (laughs) And it's like, it's stating your interest in the job. So literally for all the positions, I sent the exact same cover letter and it said, I hereby announce my candidacy for X position. 
signed. Move on to the next one. Like it was just that one line over and over again. So that was also part of why I became infamous because <laughs> apparently every time uh, a position came up that I was running for, they would say my name and they would just recite my cover letter. Your one line cover letter. My one line cover letter. So that was one that uh, became a little bit of lore for the classes around me. And I still find very amusing. You and Sam Candell have had the best cover letter stories so far. If you don't know Sam's story, go back and listen to her episode. It's not published at the time of this recording. It'll be out by the time uh, Ethan's episode is out. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I'm going to have to listen to that. Uh, you know, there's a lot of like just random stuff that happens in the moment. You know, there was one time where I don't know how this happened, but I was on the mic and the mic popped off its stand. <laughs> so there's a video somewhere of me just like holding the mic up, trying because I'm also afraid to move it because of all the sound that it'll create. And we didn't have the best mic guards at the time to block out wind like that. So I was just like holding it in the exact position it fell out in for the rest of the segment. And it was just, you know, stupid little stuff like that. There was one time, I, this might still be in the statute of limitations, but oh well, they can come after me. <laughs> there was one time uh, we were having an executive staff meeting in Watson Theater and Bames, again, Bames is six foot eight. He's a big guy. And there was a chair that apparently was a little bit broken already and none of us <laughs> realized it. <laughs> and Bames sat down in this theater seat and it just crumbled. Like it just dropped out from under him. And I decided that we needed the seat for the station. So I took the seat and I hit it. I was still the GM at the time. I hit it in my office and I actually still have it sitting in the corner of my room. Oh, my God. The broken seat from Watson Theater that Bames the eviscerated is now in your house. Is now in my house. It is a collectible. I moved and I had a bunch of stuff in my mother's storage. And uh, and she pulled it out and she was like, you are taking this. I can't believe I'm storing a broken theater seat from your college. Like, why do you have this? And I was like, we can't get rid of it. I'll take it. Give it's it to me. sentimental value. Exactly. Oh, my God. Is there anything, Ethan, that I have not asked you about that you'd like to talk about regarding JPZ career or anything else? I think it's important to note how great the connections are. Like, I've, we've already talked about this, but the connections you make being at WJPZ are unlike anything else I've really experienced on that great of a scale. You know, everybody has those friends where you say like, oh, we could not talk for five years and we'll pick up conversation like it's yesterday. Yeah. That's literally everybody <laughs> at WJPZ. Like, yes. you walk in. I haven't been to Banquet in the last couple of years because I'm a bad alum, but I guarantee that I'll be there next year. I've told enough people that I'm committed. It's They're going to peer pressure you into it, just like Shruti did going to the stage in the first place. It'll come full circle. Exactly. Yep. The three of us have agreed to peer pressure each other into going. So if any of us aren't there, please, everybody else make fun of us. But I'm sure I'll walk in and it'll be like I never left. Like It'll be like the last time I was there was two weeks ago when we were all having a great time. And, you know, the connections just get you so far personally, professionally. I got some great opportunities. I interned at Elvis Duran in the morning show and KYW News Radio, thanks to connections that I made through the station. Who are those connections? Let's shout them out real quick. Getting me on Elvis Duran was a, a team effort of Megan Flynn, Cap Brady and Allie Gold. So thank you all for that. OK. Uh, when I was working at KYW, Alex Silverman was the uh, was the program director, although he swears up and down that he had nothing to do with me being brought on as the intern. Sure, Alex. Sure. Even if he did uh, step away, having WJPZ on my resume helped there. So uh, you get so many incredible opportunities, both personally and professionally, when you make these connections and you hold on to these friendships. All right. Ethan Tarlop, class of 2020, thank you for your contributions as both a student and an alum and look forward to seeing you in March. Yeah, thanks so much. Looking forward to seeing you. 
The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.